Welcome to the Permaculture for the Future podcast. I'm your host, Josh Robinson. The world is full of negative news, and the planet seems to be in an ecological crisis. And this can be downright disheartening and disenfranchising because we feel that there's nothing that each one of us can do as an individual that can make any difference. Well, I'm here to provide a different perspective, to tell a new story. The Permaculture for the Future podcast is all about spreading positive and impactful stories, tips, and ways that each one of us can transition into a regenerative lifestyle where we can make an ecological impact. We talk about simple ways to make lifestyle changes as we interview authors, teachers, and other folks that are collectively healing ourselves and the planet. So if you want to make an ecological impact, stick around because this podcast is for you. Welcome to episode number 11 from the Permaculture for the Future podcast. I'm Zoe Robinson and Josh is going to be doing the the story today. So Bye. Well, what a lovely introduction for my co-host today, Zoe. We are on day 12 of homeschooling. So I'm sure like a lot of you, particularly if you're here in California, you have your kids at home and you're still trying to make do with all the other stuff that needs to get done. Well, today's show is going to be all around uh, looking at some of these things that have been going on with the coronavirus and how that's really affecting us at the home scale. And particularly today's talk is going to be all around our food and food supply. Because if you are living in any place like what we've been seeing here in Southern California, you're probably noticing that a lot of the shelves when you go to the grocery store have been wiped out. And that's gotten me to think a lot about food security in this time of crisis. Because a lot of what permaculture is about is about being prepared. And we're trying to design resilient systems. So resilience is this ability for an ecosystem to bounce back from stress. And oftentimes that stress can actually make things stronger, right? It's kind of like getting a little bit of a cold or a small little bug inside of yourself where you get sick initially, but you build up that immunity. And so next time you become stronger, right? Our bodies are very resilient. And in so today's talk, I want to look at our food supply and particularly, you know, what we can start to do to be able to build more resilient systems wherever we are. And oftentimes that does come back to starting a garden. Because if you're not looking out your window and seeing food, you're definitely not in a position where you are incredibly food secure. If the grocery stores are getting wiped clean and farms are getting uh, sold out of all their product like we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks here, uh, if you're not preparing that yourself or know where you're going to get your food from, you don't have a whole lot of security. And You know, I also don't want to look at this as this one-off kind of event because we do know that moving into the future, things like this, maybe not exactly like this, are going to play out. But think about 
these events that are happening around the world. Over the summer, we had major fires throughout Australia, followed by floods. Seems like every year we're getting more fires here in California, and really now it's up the entire West Coast in areas that just didn't typically burn a whole lot, right? So it's really catastrophic. And any one of those events can really disrupt our food system or just our way of life, right? So today, I really want to jump in and look at getting a garden started, particularly if you don't have a lot of experience. So my guest today is another one of the family. It's a total family affair today. So we're bringing Yael Zeidman uh, to the show today to talk about starting gardens. Now, Yael is a nurturer of life. Whether she's working with compost, microbes, worms, plants, or seeds, or even our own daughter, she brings all of that to life. She has experience building and growing farms and gardens from small backyards to managing uh, greenhouse propagation and starts for a 100-acre organic farm. Yael's also the co-founder with me of the San Diego Sustainable Living Institute and is also one of the co-founders of our organization and group, Terra Corazon, where we're building a 17-acre farm and educational center here in northern San Diego County. So without any more introduction, here's Yael. All right. Well, welcome, Yael, to the podcast. Can you give a little introduction about who you are and some of the work that you've done over the years? Sure. My name is Yael Zeidman, and I have been involved in food projects for probably the last close to 15 years. I kind of got into the the local food movement through learning about compost, and that sort of led me down a, a path who educating myself about how to grow food and then educating others. So I've worked for organizations like the Root Sustainable Food Project, Victory Garden San Diego, and that led me to actually pursuing a career in growing food. And I did that in people's backyards for a few years. And after that, worked on a 100-acre organic farm growing organic vegetables and I am now currently garden educator at a private school where I teach kids ages 3 through 11 the importance of growing your own food. Great. So you've been at it for a while, growing lots of food at all different scales, which is excellent because what I wanted to talk about today was looking at the issues around coronavirus and our food security and food supply. And so part of what I've seen with the coronavirus and its you know, impact on our society is that we have had a huge influx of you know, panic buying. You go to the grocery store, you go anywhere now, and people are just wiping out the shelves of food. And I mean, you can read all sorts of stories uh, about people just, you know, buying shopping carts worth of things like meat and produce and all of that kind of stuff, way more than they'd possibly be able to even eat. Well, anyway, all of that has really created a huge problem in that we realized that our food security has been kind of diminished, that any little point in 
the current system that we have, whether it's through the you know, globalized uh, products that we are bringing to our different areas that we all live, it's a very fragile system. And the only way that I see kind of moving away from something that is that big global food system would be bringing it back to the local levels. And when we start to do that, we realize like looking around our neighborhoods, we have all of the space right where we live, where we could be growing tons of different gardens. And I know that you've worked uh, at a lot of different scales, including the backyard systems up to the larger farms that are operating with tractors and all that kind of stuff. The gist of this particular uh, conversation today, though, I wanted to address uh, some immediate things that we can all begin to do to better prepare for these types of events into the future. Because we all know, like, you know, having a garden now is great, but there's a lot of people that don't currently have a garden. They're looking at, well, where am I going to be able to eat? They don't necessarily feel comfortable going to grocery stores or, you know, anywhere right now with the potential of, you know, getting sick themselves or potentially spreading things to other people or even just bringing something back to their families. And so with this current situation that we're in, what do you see are some simple ways that people could get started producing food right where they're at? Well, the way I sort of approach any kind of food growing project is I start with what I like. A lot of times I think people get kind of carried away with this ideal idea of this, you know, picturesque garden that has like tomatoes and, you know, all the like all this stuff and and maybe they don't even really eat tomatoes. So I would say, you know, starting with identifying the things that you like to eat is sort of the beginning, the things that you use frequently. So if you're in the kitchen cooking and you are, you know, constantly needing cilantro, I would say let's start growing some cilantro. That for me is the easiest way to sort of approach any kind of project. And and I don't ever personally really dive in headfirst. I like to think about things before I actually do them. So this this sort of prompts what I do next. Mm-hmm. Great. So start with what you like to eat. And then for people that maybe don't even have much, uh, you know, experience growing, I mean, how do they get started uh, with a garden? I mean, there's so many resources out there, you know, obviously online, there's like a plethora of resources. And I would definitely say that paying attention to where you are in the world is an important factor. So that's going to determine, obviously, the temperature and, you know, the climate that you're working in. And those things will start to sort of lead you down this path of like, what's appropriate to grow right now and what's potentially not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so we're right here in San Diego and temperatures have been pretty mild. We can grow just about anything here. But if somebody is in uh, you know, Canada or elsewhere, it might still be a little bit cold. And so that weather patterns are going to dictate what they are starting to grow. Exactly. Yep. So yeah, once you determine what it is you like to eat, kind of figure out 
you know, if it's appropriate to plant it at that time, or you could, you know, do it vice versa, you know, figure out what season it is and determine going forward from there, what things are appropriate to grow during that season, pick the things that you like, and then go for it. Yeah. So touching back onto maybe the the permaculture perspective, um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different ways of growing. And there's a lot of different crops we can choose. Uh, the long-term vision is that we're trying to move towards maybe a more permanent type of agriculture that would be based on perennials. But a lot of perennial plants can take a very long time to produce. Veggies are annuals, and they're going to be something that's going to be you know relatively quick to get started with. Now, again, let's say that somebody's coming at this, they live in an apartment complex and but maybe they have a balcony what realistically do you think somebody like that could do to be able to strengthen their food security i mean that's a really tricky question because you know i would instinctively say like start growing some herbs but you know obviously you can't like live on herbs alone so in that situation you know if you're limited on space and maybe you can grow some herbs and maybe you know a neighbor with a bigger garden that you can potentially trade your herbs for their tomatoes. Maybe, you know, start to get creative with who your local resources just even right next door to you or in your neighborhood could potentially supplement some of those those needs that you might have. Yeah, I think that community component is really important. And I do want to swing back to that towards the end here. What about growing in pots? So like if you have a balcony and you start to set up some pots, realistically, how much food do you think somebody could produce there? And what would be a, a crop that would be very suitable for that? environment? So, you know, obviously, depending on the size of the balcony, but you know, let's say you have some three 15 gallon pots that you can work with, and it's summertime and your balcony gets tons of sun, I would say, grow tomatoes, grow peppers, grow eggplant. And, and, you know, I think with gardening, especially when you're first starting, success is a big motivating force. So once you succeed at one thing, it sort of gives you this courage to kind of keep pursuing the next thing. So, you know, succeed at something and go from there. Yeah, I think that's always been a philosophy for me too, is just, you know, get something started, build on those successes and then go from there. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about starting with pots is that, you know, you're not committing to a whole lot. You can get something going. And even within a pot, and you alluded to some of that when you're talking about growing squash or tomatoes, you know, some of those are going to be more on the vining end of things. And so even on a balcony, you could start to think about having plants at all these different layers. So you can have things that are going to be growing up taller and potentially being able to provide a little microclimate for something like lettuce or you know, a smaller green or something like that in the uh, the pot below it, right? Definitely. Yeah. So those big, tall, viney tomatoes provide the perfect environment underneath them for things like lettuce, like you mentioned, or even seeding a few radishes down below and things that are going to be ready way before the tomatoes even fruiting that you can kind of start to, you know, get some, some food out of while your tomato's growing. Yeah. And I think that's an incredibly important point too is to think about 
right now, many people want food. And, you know, planting something like a tomato is going to take, you know, a number of months before you're able to harvest something. But planting something like you mentioned there, radishes, that would enable somebody to have a harvest potentially 30 days later. So really kind of stacking in, in time there and allowing as much productivity in the smallest amount of space possible. Let's continue down that kind of avenue there and just talk about timing for crops. So what are some of the fastest uh, producing things that you see around? So as mentioned, lettuce is pretty quick. There's varieties of lettuces that can start to come up nice and tender at like 45 days. Radishes are rather quick about 30 days. And, and sometimes you, you know, when you hear 30 days, 45 days, and you want food now, that's not going to be the ideal solution. Probably the quickest thing you can do is grow sprouts in a jar with, you know, water. And that might be like a seven to 10 day harvest. Mm -hmm. Those off the top of my head, uh, you know, the leafy greens, you know, kales, mustards, all those guys, you can probably start to get a, a harvest in the springtime, especially within like a month and a half or so that you can start taking the the kind of babies from. Yeah. I, and definitely, it seems like those microgreens and sprouts are going to be just about some of the quickest uh, crops that you can turn around that'll provide a, you know, a decent, you know, if you grow enough of it, could be a, a perfect thing for a salad or just getting some of your vitamin and mineral nutrition. The other thing I could see with that is that it really enables people, even if they don't have a yard, to grow because they can do that essentially indoors, right? So sprouts, it's like you could do that in a cupboard where it doesn't really even need light. And oftentimes with many of your sprouts, you don't even want them in light because you don't want the, the chlorophyll developing. Uh, whereas microgreens, it's like you do want some light. But, you know, even in the northern climates or if you're in the southern hemisphere, uh, those kind of colder uh, regions, maybe just having it under a, a, you know, light of some sort inside. Yep, that could definitely work. And kind of along those same lines, you know, if you have access to, to mushrooms, that, that sort of works in the same way. Mm. Yeah, and that really kind of, for me, brings up uh, wild foraging options, which are kind of, you know, on the side of of gardening. But there's a lot of people that are like, I don't have a garden now. It's going to take me at least, you know, a period of time to be able to harvest any microgreens or let alone if I'm putting stuff in the ground from seed, it's going to take, you know, potentially 30 days or at least. But going outside, at least here in Southern California, I mean, any sidewalk around here is loaded with all sorts of what we often call weeds, but they're incredibly edible. So, right, I mean, looking out the window here, I could see some some dandelions. I see some nettles. I see uh, mallows. I'm seeing sour grass. So the, the, all of that just growing right in the front yard and. I'm sure many places around have similar types of weeds that could be eaten. Have you ever had any particular favorites that you like on that? I mean, in terms of really wild, wild weeds, I would say probably nettles are, are among my favorite. Um, I haven't foraged too much for dandelion or 
anything like that. But I, I love nasturtium. I think nasturtium is an awesome quote unquote weed because it grows like a weed, especially this time of year. Mm-hmm. And then it just self seeds. And that's just like the beauty of, of itself is that next year you'll just get more and the next year you'll get more. And I find those to be really beautiful and tasty. Yeah. And we're in a pretty dry climate here. So for folks that are in kind of wetter or humid climates, your options, I'm sure, for wild foraging just increases exponentially, uh, just depending on that part of the world that you're in. So let's kind of shift a little bit away from, you know, this wild foraging, we've started to talk about planting in pots. Um, But let's just say that somebody does have space, and they've determined that, you know, their yard is going to be perfect for a garden, and they've just been kind of waiting for the right moment. And now that they're home, they're like, hey, let's plant a garden. So what do you find are some nice tips to get a quick garden going? I would say, especially if you don't feel like you have a ton of experience with gardening, I would definitely start with plant starts. Um, I wouldn't try to just start from seed. Not only is that going to add time to your project, but it's also a little more of a finicky approach because of the water needs that, that seeds have. When you have a plant that you can visibly see in the garden, you usually remember to water it. If there's a seed in the ground and you've forgotten that you put it there, you know, days could go by before you remember and, and, Here, our rain is very sporadic, even though this last month we've had a lovely rain. I would say that starting with a a plant start is definitely a tip for success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it also kind of just speeds up your harvest. It could be a little easier to get going. I mean, there obviously are some limitations. And that's something to really consider right now, considering that many, at least around here, many stores have kind of shut up. They're closing, they have limited hours. And just like we've been seeing with the grocery stores, you know, there have been, I'm sure, some runs on different plants that people might want. So I know just looking around in the social media realm that a ton of people are really wanting to get gardens going. And I'm assuming that a lot of the garden centers might be wiped out of a lot of Uh, of their plants. So let's just assume that that's not an option right now. Then we're looking at uh, seeds. So do you want to talk a little bit about getting that going? Sure. I mean, again, it depends on where you are in the world. Right now, you know, springtime is upon us and starting to, to be a time where you can just throw seed out into the garden and either cross your fingers for rain or set a timer for yourself to water. Or if you want to be a little more sophisticated, install some kind of an irrigation system that, you know, waters, that waters on a schedule so that, so that your seeds are getting the amount of moisture that they need to germinate. Again, give yourself or remind yourself that it is going to take a certain amount of time and, Usually that time can be determined by looking at your seed packet. Your seed packet usually has all the information that you need there to to figure out about how long it's going to be from from plant to harvest. And sometimes it's from germination to harvest. And I usually tend to, you know, add a couple days after that just to ensure, give myself a little bit of a buffer, really, depending on the way the sun is moving, where your garden is planted, how much sunlight is getting a day. You know, there's a lot of 
details that affect the way that your garden grows. But planting seeds can be a, a really successful and, and very rewarding experience for, for beginning and experienced gardeners. Hey, let me just pause you for a bit. I have a question for you. Are you an aspiring podcaster and you don't have the technical know-how of podcasting? Or you already have a podcast, but you have limited time or skills to do the post-production yourself? Don't worry. Podspring is the best thing for you. Podspring, a made-for-you podcast production, offers a complete package for as low as $79 per episode. Podspring, who helped produce this podcast, does audio, graphics, videos, publish episodes, and anything you need to get your podcast running. They will help you turn your simple recordings into broadcast-quality episodes so you'll have more time doing your business or get that well-deserved family time. If you subscribe now, you'll get a free podcast pack that includes a USB microphone, headphone, and boom arm. Great if you don't have the equipment yet, or you could turn it into a $150 discount. Just use the referral code PERMACULTURE when you sign up at podspring.net. Sign up now at podspring.net. Now, let's get back to the episode. Well, for, you know, absolute beginning gardeners that are just getting in started here and wanting to kind of uh, get their feet wet with that, what do you see are some ways that would be quick and easy to get that in-ground vegetable garden going? From seed or from start? <laughs> well, let's just say that you have either seeds or starts. So like, what does it take to kind of get the garden going? Got it. So, you know, let's say you have a, a patch of quote unquote dirt in your backyard that's been sort of bare and alone <laughs> for the last however long. I would definitely recommend starting with a high quality compost or really any kind of compost if you can't necessarily get your hands on high quality. To me personally, the highest quality compost is going to be the one that you make at home. <laughs> if you haven't considered setting that system up, it's a, a really nice complement to a garden. I actually almost think that one can't garden without a compost pile, honestly, or shouldn't. I don't mean to should on anybody, but they kind of go hand in hand. So, you know, you feed the garden compost, the garden feeds you, you feed your compost. It's like the really nice loop. Um, so again, starting with compost, aerating the space. If, if, you know, the soil or the dirt is is moist, especially, you know, for us around this time of year, it's a lovely time to get in the garden and dig a little bit of of, of compost into our, our beds. If you're more of a lazy gardener, you can always sheet mulch, which basically is a, a strategy to create compost in place so that your plants have what they need to grow. Yeah. So, I mean, the key is really getting that organic matter into the soil and starting to kind of get the, the soil food web kicked off. And I love how you mentioned that, you know, getting the garden is really about getting your your compost going. And there's obviously some faster ways that you can start to generate compost and start to build up your own compost. And, you know, if you have a lot of material at once, you know, getting that going, wetting it, turning it, doing all that. Uh, worm bins as well. And there's lots of information out there on getting worms going, but that could be some of the fastest 
ways to get that compost going, so that that nutrient for your plants. So we've built the beds up, got the compost in there, planting. What's happening next? Yeah, next you watch and learn. <laughs> Let plants tell you what they need. You know, a lot of people, I think, say things like, I don't have a green thumb, and um, I don't really believe in green thumbs. I think, you know, there's a, a level of observation coming back to the permaculture principles. If you're paying attention, you will learn from from the plants. So if a plant is drooping over three days after you planted it, I would say approach the plant and see what it's telling you by touching the soil around it. See if it's really dry. Maybe it's too wet. Maybe a gopher came underneath and chopped off the roots. You know, the only way to really succeed at gardening is by interacting with your garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's if you're not doing something, there's nothing to learn from, right? Right. Yeah. So getting out there, doing it. I love that. And, you know, getting their compost in the ground, you got your plants in the ground, you're watering, you're observing, you're seeing how things are going. Uh, And now you have that connection, you know, back to this planet and all the cycles, whether it's the water, the carbon, Uh, you get to watch, you know, the different insects and you're, you're tied back into that, that system that's all around us. I wanted to not only touch on the gardening, but you also mentioned earlier about some of these community components. And really, I see a lot of the problems that we have in our current society, almost from, you know, right now we're in in forced isolation. But even when we're not in forced isolation, oftentimes we tend to want to do things as individuals, and we're not thinking about the bigger picture, we're not thinking about the team or how to accomplish things. And Inevitably, it seems like it creates a lot of waste. It creates a lot of uh, just natural inefficiencies. And so I wanted to look at some strategies that we could utilize to actually increase our food system supplies as we're moving forward and maybe looking at this through building gardens. Now, I've had a few ideas uh, over the last few weeks and, you know, we've chatted about some of these, but I just wanted to kind of dialogue and and hear from you about um, what your thoughts are on this. Sure. I was actually thinking about this today and not in regards specifically to growing food, but, you know, our lawnmower broke. And so I was looking out at the front yard thinking like, goodness gracious, I want to mow that greenage out there. And like four of our neighbors were out mowing their lawns. Um, And I was thinking to myself, like, wouldn't it be awesome if, like, one block all shared the responsibility of tending to each other's yard? So, like, each week a different house had that responsibility of just going down the street with their lawnmower and mowing everybody's lawn. And then the following week, like, this, it just, it was a thought that came out of just looking out at my front yard and thinking, like, wow, what a mess. But bringing it back to food, you know, trying to tackle growing all of your food is a big task for anyone, whether you're experienced or not, you know, that that requires just a huge commitment to to doing that. And 
we usually don't have the time and a lot of us don't have the space. And then there's, you know, the know-how and the experience. But if you're able to tap into a network where potentially everybody is an expert or experienced at one or two things, then you're able to share that wealth and, and hopefully find the diversity that you are looking for in your diet. So to make that more tangible, for example, I could say I'm an excellent cucumber grower in the summertime, but I'm, I can't grow tomatoes, but my neighbor grows beautiful tomatoes. And then the person across the street has chickens. So they have these awesome backyard eggs and, you know, starting to find because I'm sure there's pockets of this everywhere where people are very passionate about growing things and skilled and experienced and they're able and wanting to share that, not only the bounty, but also the knowledge of how to do that. So really, it starts with identifying where those people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you brought up a lot of really important points there. I mean, just coming back to the lawnmower, um, I mean, that is a great really analogy for like how we can begin to look at how we operate in a lot of different ways. Because, yeah, it's like right now there's probably, you know, on, on this one block, I mean, how many lawnmowers do you think are, are owned by the neighborhood? At least 20. Yeah, and they're, you know, probably all a few hundred dollars a piece. And when you start to add that up, it's quite a large amount of money and and they're not that efficient for what they are. Now, if you just purchase, say, one lawnmower, you know, as the, the neighborhood, or maybe we come up with some sort of rental agreement, you could have potentially a ride-on mower that would make the jobs super easy. <laughs> now, that's not necessarily the uh, the point of this particular issue because, like, really, do we need this many lawns around here? No, I much- and also just to sort of defend ourselves, like, we're not growing a lawn, you know? This is what we're looking at, as Josh mentioned, is a front yard full of quote-unquote weeds. So I also don't want to seem like I'm growing a lawn right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and a, a rental weed patch, nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But along those same kind of like lines, you know, we can look at, you know, these ideas and ways of coming together that could save us money, time and resources. And so one of the the things that I've been looking at is like, you know, much like you were talking about is like, how do you get people out there gardening right now when they don't necessarily have the skills? Resources are even harder to get right now. But yet, maybe there's one person in the neighborhood who does have some gardening skills. And with the technology that we have available to us through social media, whether it's kind of like, you know, localized Facebook groups or, you know, apps like Nextdoor, which enable you to communicate with those neighbors that are directly around you. I've thought that you know, one way that we can kind of work this is to start to purchase things in bulk to be able to like really get people's costs down. Because I know like if you're a gardener and you're trying to get some compost and you need compost, you know, oftentimes, well, one, a lot of people aren't, they don't have a truck or any way of transporting large amounts of material. And when you're buying by the bag, you're paying for 
quite a lot of extras, right? Because you're paying for the bag, you're paying for that shipping, you're paying for all the labor that went into to bagging that up and distributing it versus buying that same material in bulk where you're purchasing it by the yard. That ends up being a significantly cheaper cost. And if you can say, have a bunch of it, maybe 10, 15 yards of material delivered, uh, that could start up a number of gardens locally and they would just have to come and then you'd share out that, uh, divvy up the cost there. Now, of course, with, you know, the whole uh, coronavirus, we do have to be cautious and still kind of make sure that we're not spreading uh, disease around and, and making sure that the way that we're handling the communication and the sharing is accounting for that. But have you thought of any other ways that we can kind of work together as a neighborhood and as a community to further strengthen and enable really more people to grow? Yeah, I mean, along those same lines, you know, buying tiny seed packets, for example, is a much costlier way of buying seeds than buying seeds by the pound or by the half pound or, you know, so the same way that you could buy compost in bulk, buying seeds in bulk. Right now, tool sharing is a little bit of a iffy situation potentially, but I think also that brings up the point of, you know, having protocols in place where in order to be a part of this, this kind of, uh, experiment, you, you know, you have, you set some ground rules and um, let's say you do set up some kind of a tool sharing library, you know, you need to make sure people clean their tools and return them sanitized at this point. So, you know, tool sharing, resource sharing, like, like compost, like a truck, like seeds, like a lawnmower, you know, all of those I think are, are really good strategies for starting and then taking that further, you know, into let's say your neighborhood has a ton of fruit trees. So being able to have a space where, you know, you're not just leaving a bunch of fruit out at your front doorstep, but you're able to let people know that that fruit is available for them. So using these things like Nextdoor or Facebook to say like, hey, guys, I have an abundance of oranges right now. Please come and get them. So starting to share the abundance also is is a great way to get people on board. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes, if you do have a large fruit tree, that family might not be able to consume all of that or just get tired of that same same fruit. So having a little bit of diversity and you can essentially utilize the the fruit uh, or veg or whatever you're producing as currency. Absolutely. And, you know, oftentimes, especially here in San Diego, like we are, I drive by so many places with, fr- let's just say orange trees and there's fallen fruit everywhere. And I think to myself, like, what a waste, you know, like I love fresh squeezed orange juice in the morning. Maybe knocking on that person's door right now isn't the best solution because people, you know, need to give each other some space. But being able to ask on some kind of forum like, hey, this house, what's up with that fruit tree? Can I help you harvest that? Can I give you some of that abundance and take some for myself or are you willing to give it all to me? Can I share it with the neighbors? You know, really establishing the environment to to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that for me also kind of just brings up some 
some other points that when we are looking at kind of these other resources that are in other folks' yards, there's plenty of people out there that have yards that they would love to have a garden or, you know, fruit trees or some sort of, you know, food production happening, but maybe they don't have the time and or maybe they just don't have the ability to to really be out and do the physical work to kind of make it happen. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have people that just don't have land, but they have the desire, they want to get out there, they want to do this, and looking for these partnerships that are probably and could be right next door to where people live. And again, just during this time of kind of self-quarantining, I think, you know, looking to social media uh, as a way of connecting with people that would love other folks to grow on there. And then there could essentially just be a trade, like one person builds the garden for the resident or the family. And in exchange, they uh, pay in a little bit of extra food. I mean, it's kind of a win-win situation. And I I could see this playing out and really uh, being a, a huge driver in the future of a lot of our food security, because what this whole uh, pandemic has really pointed out is just this enormous point of fragility for all of it. And the only way that we're going to address that is if we can create these uh, decentralized, diverse systems of food throughout all of our cities, all of our neighborhoods, all of the suburbs, all of even the rural areas. Um, you know, as Bill Mollison once pointed out that, you know, you're not really secure unless you look out your window and you see food growing, friends and family nearby, and all of that to kind of make sure that things are being taken care of. You know, that's where, you know, your real security comes from is you have your water, you have your food supply, you have your energy, you have your homes. And that's that's really what we're trying to to look at here in this conversation is to really, I mean, right now, the food is a pressing issue that's on a lot of people's minds. And I think for significant reasons, because when you look at the pictures of the grocery stores and there's nothing there, that can cause a fair bit of panic. Um, so I, I think we touched on quite a few really solid points here from just getting garden started to little ideas of working within your community to further strengthen some of these relationships. Uh, In the last little bit here, do you have any kind of just final thoughts or things that have been coming up for you during this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we can even look further than just people's backyards as, as spaces that have opportunities. You know, as I mentioned, I work at a school and right now the school's on lockdown and my garden is thriving, you know, and it's still continuing to thrive, even though I'm not there. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a great resource for the school to to have this space. So places like schools, places like hospitals, you know, places with with high traffic environments also have this, I say opportunity, and I almost want to say responsibility to somehow supplement their food with something that they grow. 
And, you know, I've seen that be very successful on school campuses. I've seen that be successful on corporate campuses. I know that there are hospitals that are, you know, trying to have some food growing on their on their sites. And and I think that this conversation has, you know, allowed me to to also look beyond just our backyards and and really think about all of the places where we can be growing food. Yeah, and that would definitely, you know, moving forward, thinking about any future issues that we're dealing with. I mean, having that in place now and what better time to start when you're if you're particularly if you're already uh, home and, and now not working is like, well, get out there, start doing something, get that garden going, start working on your own, you know, systems in place and start to connect with your neighbors. Because really, like, if we want to see change fast, that's really the way to do it is not going at it yourself, but looking at that connection with the greater community, because even just talking with your neighbors is that that educational piece. It's, it's not the education system that we're maybe familiar with, but it's the one that we've been uh, learning from for millennia as we've been a human species is just learning by example and seeing other people doing it. And the more that we have uh, these examples of people out there and communities that are starting to do that, uh, I'm sure many people, you know, that have gardens and their communities have gardens are feeling a lot more secure right now than others, particularly in like the more highly urban areas uh, throughout the world where there just isn't a great food supply system in place. Definitely. And, you know, added bonuses of, of having a garden added bonus to, to just eating well is also being outside, breathing fresh air, you know, feeling sunlight, touching soil, all these tangible things that actually help to improve your mood. And in a time like now where, you know, it feels like we have a little bit of a black cloud looming over us, stepping out into a garden is a huge source of, of reprieve for me right now. And, and it's something that I'm able to really value in these moments where maybe I normally am not as conscious of, of that feeling. But right now, especially just being outside and, and interacting with the plant world that has proven through all this time to be the most resilient in the natural world, I guess I should say to be one of the most resilient, you know, things in our in our history is is a really positive experience. Mhm. Yeah, for sure. So, into the future, looking through this all the chaos here, what do you have in your future? Oh, we have some real exciting stuff in the works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything that you were talking about about really having that sense of security is something that we have been fortunate enough to embark Upon And although we've jumped through all sorts of hoops, um, you know, we're, as you know, building two straw bale homes on a property that we own. We're doing it with, with friends. So we have, you know, kind of a built in community right off the bat. Not only is living in these natural homes, one of the most exciting things that I think I can think about right now, but also embarking on garden projects with a community 
So, you know, having all of that when we look out the window, having our garden, having our friends, having our family, having a, a, a huge source of water, all of that is in our near future. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time. And we hope to have you back on the podcast here very soon. Thank you, Josh. Well, that wraps up today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some value out of it. Uh, If you are one of these people that is new to gardening, what better time and what better opportunity than to start right now? There are plenty of opportunity, particularly if you are home, to get out there and start to build that resilience garden. This is the thing that keeps us nurtured and fed even through hard times. It's how we circumvent many of those problems that are caused by the global food system. But that's one of the beauties that I find in permaculture is when we switch our perspective and our thinking back to the local, back to what we can do, what we have control over, all of a sudden those solutions become a beautiful thing. Right? So a garden providing food during the hard times. Right? And as Yael mentioned, you know, start with those things that you like to eat. It's not that hard to get things going, whether from seed or sprouts. And what better opportunity to just get out there and start learning how to do it. The important takeaways that I got from this one is to really start to think about those community connections. Because even in this time of isolation, it's imperative that if we're going to get through this gracefully, that we don't try to do it alone, right? We need to work as a community. And there are so many opportunities that we can come together as a community to work together that benefit each of us in return, right? So doing this as a group. We can accomplish so much more. All right. Well, that's it for this one. And next week, we're going to talk to Richard Heinberg about looking at the challenges that we're facing during this coronavirus and what we can maybe do to build that resilience into our future there. All right. And if you like the show and you're getting value out of it, jump on over to iTunes or wherever you're getting your podcast from and please just leave us a rating or a review that really helps our show reach a wider audience. And today's show notes can be found at permaculturefortheFuture.com slash episode 11. That's permaculturefortheFuture.com slash episode 11. Well, in the meantime, get that garden going. All right. Thanks.